0: Hello, Tome Show listeners. This is your stalwart editor, Sam Dillon, and I'm here to introduce an exclusive Tome Show special edition episode for you today. This... Features the Pelgrane Press panel from the Dragon Meat Convention hosted in the UK. This panel features top designers from Pelgrane Press, including Simon Rogers, Kat Tobin, Robin D. Laws, Kenneth Height, Rob Hinesu, and Gareth Ryder Hanrahan. They talk about Knights Black Agents, Seven Wonders, The Fall of Delta Green, 13th Age, and Trail of Cthulhu. Sit back, relax, and we hope you enjoy this wonderful convention
1: audio from Dragon Meat. So, welcome everyone to the Hey, What's Up with pell Press panel, in which we explain, Hey, What's Up with pell Press? Uh, I will uh, introduce myself as uh, writer and game designer Robin D. Laws, uh, and our other uh, self-introducing panelists are...
0: I'm Garth Odor-Hanrahan, writer and game designer too. (laughs) And my name's Rob Hanso, I'm the American Ringer. (laughs) Thirteenth age is mainly my thing for these guys.
2: I'm Kenneth Height, uh, writer and game designer and podcaster. Um, I'm Kat
3: Tobin, and I'm the co owner and managing director.
4: Uh, I'm Simon Rogers, uh, co owner of uh, Pelgrane
1: uh, So, I guess one of the big bits of news uh, from last year is that uh, Pelgrane now has co owners. <laughs> oh, uh so That uh, was afterwards, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, we didn't talk about it. Okay. It, was, so, it was certainly after last year. Co-owner. Yeah. Yeah. So, Kat, perhaps you could uh, kick off by uh, describing uh, your uh, new understanding of Pelgrane and the gaming industry now that you're a co poo of uh, Pelgrane. Describe your ascent to power. Yes. (laughs) I'm going to
4: be interested to hear. Um, Okay. I, I really wasn't expecting to
1: have to answer that. Um, now, but, but you let me moderate, so that's what happened. I did let you
3: moderate. Clearly that was my first mistake. And mostly what I've learned is not to let you moderate panels. Um,
1: you learned that just now. Just,
3: yeah, exactly. It's it's I'm constantly growing and evolving in my new role as co-owner and co-grand uh, poopah. Am I half Cuba?
4: grand Co grand fuba? Grand Um
5: back.
3: Yes. Like the kings of Sparta,
2: there's technically two. <laughs>
1: So uh, rather than answer that yeah. vague question, why don't you tell them about your exciting new project okay. that you have in front of you? Um,
3: <laughs> yes, my, my new- yes, I did. Think, um, so my newest newest project, um, literally as of uh, finished as of Tuesday, um, is Seven Wonders, which is a story games anthology. Um, it's featuring um, some fantastic uh, UK-based games designers who I'm going to spring uh, on call from the audience to talk about their games. So I can see Liz and Becky first, so do you want to go first? One of you? Go on Becky,
6: you can go. Yeah. Um, so I have a game in the anthology, thank you very much to Cat. My game is called When the Dark is Gone. Um, it came out of two design challenges that I set myself, which was firstly, can you create a game which runs in two to four hours, which is emotionally engaging, um, as in you emotionally get attached to your character, um, and the second design challenge I set myself was: Can I write a game which has no conflict resolution mechanic? And I think I've achieved both of those things. Um, um, and, the, and both of those were actually um, resolved, if you like, um, by a very specific setting. When the Dark is Gone is a game set in a therapy session, um, and people in therapy are, for example, the children who went to Narnia and then had all of their adventures. Um, participated in a war, grew up to become kings and queens, and then came back home and went back to maths homework and wartime rations, and I thought, well, what the a therapy session with those children? <laughs> 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 <laughs>
5: and
6: The advantages of this are um, you have the therapist character, like the GM, and they can really help the players delve into the emotions of their characters in a very short space of time. And because it's a therapy session and the characters are recounting their memories of what happened, if their memories conflict, well, memories just do. And how we deal with that? Well, how do we deal with it in the real world? By talking and working through our issues together. Yeah. So, that was... So up, so. <coughs> Liz, do you want to go next? I'm Liz Huffo. My, my game is called Rise and Fall, and it's about building and living in and then destroying dystopias. Um, and the process of writing actually came out of writing a much more traditional GM um, tabletop game um, of my own dystopia of my own making. Um, and the process that I went through at the beginning of that, kind of asking myself questions about how does this dystopia work? I knew what the dystopia looked like, but I kind of didn't know how to get there. So I had this list of questions, and I thought, hang on a minute, this is the question, this is a game in its own light. Um, so the game runs in three phases, the first of which you... Um, build the dystopia up starting from such sort of a greed base point with the whole series of things going badly wrong in various ways. And then there's a case the where you live under the dystopia, um, see how people cope with the various pressures that they're under. And then at the end, we bring it all down again and hopefully build something of more glorious and more lovely afterwards. Thank you.
1: So, Kat, could you talk a little bit about the whole uh, project and your? Uh what what inspired you to do it and what the process of uh, uh, recruiting the designers was.
3: Okay, um, I'll just do that super quickly because I would like to talk oh. back to some other people. I, I didn't realize, yes, I thought we had
1: more than, uh, okay. Yeah, right. no, there's, there are seven people. All seven right. are here. So
3: yeah, so I'll just jump to 10. Oh. <laughs> 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 all seven aren't here, so we'll, we'll, we'll keep it. We'll it. Alright, uh,
6: my name is Torban Naslund and I'm, I wrote the Acceptable Losses game. It's about family relationships and what you're willing to sacrifice for your family. When you live in a dystopian future, where family is all you have to survive your everyday life. And it's about tough choices, about personal sacrifice. And yeah, that's it. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. And I can see Joanna down there at well. The uh, I'm Joan Cancostelli I wrote the game Full Storm, uh, which is basically, I wanted to write a game where you could play a full fancy campaign uh, in an evening. So it starts with um, a, a traditional adventuring party of characters sat together around the fire on the eve of their final battle. Um, so this is uh, the long breath before the battle of the, the Fields or something like that, where all the characters... Uh, sit so around together and flash back into their story so you can find out how they got to this point um, and deal with all the problems that have grown up between them over this time with stealing each other's money and
3: that kind of thing as <laughs> happens traditional fancy parties so yeah, that's uh, Fancy campaign money. Awesome, thank you. Lynn, this situation, see you. Okay, cool. cool. Um, yeah, so <coughs> thanks very much. Um, so the, the process basically um, something that we I was talking to somebody on the booth about earlier because obviously we're a British-based um, role company and it's quite important I think, certainly for me that we kind of support um, the British games industry where we can and I think that part of that is kind of Fostering and developing new talent in in the British games industry, so that's kind of where the the commission came from. Also, I love story games, and um, I came across Becky's when the dark is gone. Fell completely in love with it, and went, how can we how can we make a book out of this? Where can we get more things for this? And that's where the commission for it came from.
1: And so, are you going to uh, trick some of these talented designers into writing uh, more stuff for Pellgrain's established lines?
3: Well, duh. <laughs> <laughs>
4: day here and there are the writers here who can sign it, so can come and buy it afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: so I guess the other huge thing is that uh, the Dracula dossier and director's handbook are finally here. I think for many years we've been discussing the process of putting it together now. How done is it now? The uh, director's handbook is done and in print and on the table.
2: Dracula Unredacted is done and unredacted and in print and on the table. Uh, Edom Files, which are the adventures uh, spanning 1877 to the War on Terror. So Russo-Turkish War to the War on Terror. Um, we, We didn't quite... Uh, we we aren't quite able to get into the the second Russo-Turkish War, which is beginning as we speak, but um, uh, but maybe if it goes into a second printing. Um, anyway, uh, we have Edom files. Those are the adventures are done and they are in production. Yes, art is being art, 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 art is all done. Art is artist. So we just need maps. Now. Maps need to be mapped. And,
6: then
2: we're and, and the Edom field manual, which is the uh, sort of three books in one. It is an invoice copy of the actual briefing instructions that you get when you become a rating with Operation Edom and are sent out to hunt vampires on very little information and no bureaucratic support. Um, It is also the uh, player's guide, so if you are playing a campaign in which you are playing the vampire hunting secret service of Her Majesty, you can uh, uh, build up that, that campaign and play within it, and then there is finally the um, uh, the director's guide to running EDEM and all the details and, and NPCs and things like that. And that is all been put together and written by Gar and touched by me just enough to get my name in the credits. And then it is uh, productive and arted. Uh,
3: it is all arted um, and mostly productive.
1: Mostly it's productive.
2: Pretty
6: much, yeah, it's
1: different. And, and, and what's the status of the wax cylinder?
2: The wax cylinder recording is up for backers. They can listen to it. It was in a backer
1: report this month. And for the benefit of those who don't know what the heck I'm talking about, what is the wax cylinder? The
2: wax cylinder, uh, during the uh, Kickstarter, we had a contest in which as people backed, they could back uh, either Van Helsing or Mina to reach Castle Dracula and uncover one final clue. And uh, the audience uh, overwhelmingly pretty much chose Mina. Van Helsing was never really in it and wound up you know, uh, stuck in Prague, I think. And then Mina made it to the castle, and so we reached out to our uh, compendious geologic, uh, genealogical database and found uh, Descendant of Mina Harker to record the actual uh, last recording known of Mina Harker, which is now available to you, the players, to uh, play with uh, suitable scritchy uh, sound effects in it.
4: So it turns out that our uh, former uh, employee Beth Lewis is in fact that Descendant of Mina Harker. Yeah. <laughs> Real coincidence, <laughs> frankly. Yes.
1: Uh, so, I guess Ken and uh, Gar, maybe you could go back and forth on on this question. Uh, uh, if you are an agent of uh, British intelligence sent to hunt vampires, what would be your number one uh, or your first list of tips for uh, f- for the uh, characters as they go off and do that? What is the best way as a British intelligence agent to go out and hunt vampires gar what's your number one tip?
5: Be Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> the initial briefing and the, uh, all the clues are in there. You just to follow them. Um, make sure your life insurance is up to date. <laughs>
1: now, uh, does uh, British Intelligence take care of you well if you're maimed uh, by a vampire?
2: Well, uh, much like the GRU, the only way to leave Edom is uh, feet first or, I guess, uh, with uh, garlic in your mouth. Um, and so they, uh, they they employ the The crippled but still uh, functional employees at various Edom base establishments. But no, it's a short life but a merry one. I think is the traditional way. And in the in in the Edom field manual, there are a number of uh, rotes and TTFBs, tactical uh, uh, fact-finding possibilities, and and uh, tactical uh, team operation things that are specifically designed for Edom to make operations somewhat survivable. So I think that.
5: And there are like, you know, <coughs> plenty of not-at-all suspicious red liquids being injected into your body to give you convenient vampire super strength and so forth, which never have any long-term effects or don't like. Yes, you know,
2: they're combat drugs, like drugs but exactly. if you find yourself nervous in churches after taking Thank them, you. then just, it's just a good advice to avoid Holy Communion yeah. at any time while taking the combat drugs.
1: <coughs> now, speaking of undead entities who devour your will, uh, Ken has been training you to think like Ken. <laughs> <laughs> can you describe the process of learning to think
5: like Ken while working on the Dracula yeah. You learn to see that everything is connected to everything else if you just work hard enough at it. Um, so you, you take any random fact, and you delve into it, and pretty, sure it, pretty soon it ends up being connected to either the occult, or spies, or both. Because basically every historical figure is where they can t- tell was working at some point for intelligence or the Russians or someone similar or both. And it crops up in the, the weirdest places as well. Anything um, yeah would like to MFI within about three steps, like the Kevin Bacon and the mysterious <laughs> underworld.
2: And I should also mention that The Thrill of Dracula, which is my uh, analysis of the Dracula story as told and retold mostly in film since ni- 1897, is in final writing even yeah. now.
5: And Hawkins papers as well, are giant file of handouts, is uh, all acted and done and in production. Well, I think things it like finding flies to swish for the uh, Brentfield papers. Yep.
2: That slowed us down because there aren't yeah. as many flies in the winter.
4: Indeed. That's the reason.
1: So, to switch gears for a bit, uh, another of uh, Pogran's major lines is 13th age, and Rob, you're the man to talk about that. Uh, what has recently happened for 13th age and what is about to happen for 13th age? Let's see, for, um, most recently there's a battle scenes book
0: which is, uh I think the the verb that's now being used here is arted and and it's uh, about to start being productive.
5: It's it's been roted and developed. Somebody's English? Yeah. The the development is
0: done. uh, It's a pain when
1: there's already a perfectly good verb. Yeah, wrecks the pattern. Problem.
0: Okay, so uh, high magic and low cunning is ready to go, I believe, next week. I think, actually I think I'm going to get a couple pieces of art revised but other than that it's ready and what is that? Um, Moore wrote battle scenes for all 13 icons and the idea is that you can take um, mini adventures and plug them into a campaign. If you have a campaign that's about the emperor or the Orc Lord the Barbarian, you'll find a set of two to four little battles and vignettes um, that can, Either just be inserted into any campaign, or that you can um, start uh, or start a campaign using them. And uh, the idea is the first book is Five Icons: um, Orc Lord, Archmage, High Druid, uh, the Three, and the Prince of Shadows. And there's ideas for how you can use them for other ones. I think it's a it's an adventure book, unlike Eyes of the Stone Thief, mm-hmm. which is a you know a monumental novel of an adventure <laughs> book. Um, this is a deliberate short story anthology um, of adventures, and um, pretty happy with it. it. It has a lot of, a lot of monsters, it, people even, I think most GMs are gonna find something to run, but if, even if you don't, it has an awful lot of interesting ideas that can be plundered. There are other books in that line coming. Um, the final, one, the next one is probably High Crown, uh, The Crown Commands, which is all the people who sound like they're uh, emperors, lich kings, elf queens, and dwarf kings. Uh, and then uh, the last one is Your Faith Will Set You on Fire. That, <laughs> hey, I just said the name out loud, so maybe we'll
1: use it, but I'm not <laughs> sure that we're really going to go with that. Yeah, we'll see.
0: Anyway, so Your Faith Will Set You on Fire is battle scenes for all the people, who, all the icons who are somehow faith-based. Um, these books will probably, I suspect they may all come out this year. We're certainly working on the other two right now to get them done. Um, well, ne- next, year, next year. Yeah, 2016. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, 2016. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean by this yeah. year. Yeah, I'm Looking ahead. There's the dragon here. here. Yeah. Before, yeah. Dra-
2: before dragon. In Beat. the next three weeks, all of this. <laughs> <laughs> and if it's not, write to Rob. <laughs> okay,
0: that's good. Um, other things that have happened are that uh, the very first adventure book for uh, 13th Age, which has a cover uh, but has never uh, come out, um, has now, um, if you drew do a, do a graph of its size, it would, it would be like here, 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 and now it's at a size that that Simon actually wants to publish it. <laughs> um, and um, I suspect that all the other pieces of it will go will show up in other places. So Stars of the Broken Sky will also be out pretty soon. I, I feel rather odd about the 13th Age line in the sense that uh, there are all these exciting books, we haven't announced them yet, and many of them are um, in, roted. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the right event has occurred The uh, Writitation. <laughs> there we go. And uh, there, there's some development to be done, uh, the art process. But, so the odd thing is is I think that um, there'll, I, I, I know five, there are four books that are pretty much written um, now, and that therefore it's just the, the process of production is going to be happening in the next few months. I, we might We'll see how many of those get out.
1: Um, this so, in the near future I think. and so the uh, big thing on your plate uh, design wise is 13th agent Glorantha.
0: yeah 13th agent Glorantha is the project that I'm not doing for pell but one of the interesting uh, 13th agent Glorantha is now reached that crucial 80% done spot where the last 20% is going to be um, fun challenging and why is it that last 20% taking so long? Yeah, anyway so uh, uh, one of the things that Simon is interested in having us do is there are going to be some character class books, or at least one, probably others, um, coming out from Pelgrim. And I have to admit that doing 13th Inch of Laranthe, uh when you get a second bite on a system, you you've <coughs> learned a lot. And so the things that are happening in that game work really well for 13th age, and you know, there were character classes that accomplished things that some 13th age classes were meant to do and maybe didn't do quite as well as I would've liked them to. Um, so in some cases that you'll just wanna take 13th, the Berserker, <coughs> or the Trickster and adapt them into um, Dragon Empire games. And in other cases, I think that the, uh, I'm actually gonna do work um, with some other designers, and. Explore the concepts that came out of the Glorantha book and bring them back into new stuff that fits more into the um, the style of the Dragon Empire books. Um, so that'll that'll probably be happening in a uh, the first the first player uh, character class, just a sort of the splat book idea of taking two or three classes and doing cool things for them.
1: So is there a particular example of a thing that you've developed for uh, Glorantha that you are thinking of having a porting back into Thirteenth age?
0: Yeah. Um, when we did some bear one of the things we did when we did 13th Age is we made some very simple classes with the idea that you could, man, if you have a person who really doesn't want to do anything other than roll the dice, go ahead and give them a barbarian. Maybe give them a paladin. Um, the, Of course, there's an awful lot of people who played barbarians and paladins in the history of these fantasy games who are a bit disappointed by playing a character that's that simple. They're sort of like, well, I'd like to be like the other kids and do interesting things all the time. And um, so the, The Gloranta is a world full of uh, barbarian types worshipping barbarian gods, swinging bronze swords and we're doing a couple transformations. There's this guy
1: named Orlanth, you may have heard of. Yeah,
0: Orlanth, and then there's the trolls who definitely have people who, you know, troll warriors feel a lot like barbarians. What we're doing is we're doing Taking the idea of, okay, let's use all the, a bunch of the Barbarian class stuff, but then let's put new features on it that make it more interesting to play and give you more choices. Um, I think that the, for the Berserker is an example of um, a kind of class that appears random because you're rolling a die to find out what power you can use except that there's always choices in the role, and the choices are ones you set up with power choices at the beginning, and they either affect your character long-term or just a quick burst of power, and you're making that choice. So it turns out that that style of apparent randomness that actually is really interesting to play is the kind of thing I would like to have barbarian style characters in the Dragon Empire also use. So we'll be adopting both of those ideas probably in uh, a character-class book aimed at barbarians.
5: Um, God, do you want to talk about demons? Good. Uh, yeah. well, this yeah. is uh, almost done, right? It's... Yeah, it's yeah, like three-quarters plus done. Wrote it. The Russian ingredient is happening. Uh, yeah. Demons, or demons, 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 or the Book of Demons, or huh. whatever we end up calling it. We could, like, have a poll, away. Right I, 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 I want to the D6 table in the back of the book, like you... Oh, the like yeah, right, the right, other yeah, names. Exactly. Okay, all right. Um, basically, it's a short little book of loot sized supplement on demons and hell holes and other things. There will be a demonologist character class in there which specializes in summoning demons, which the necromancer specializes in having undead running around the place. And the bulk of the book is basically of like five or six different new hell holes with their own unique demon denizens and adventure scenes for those, and magic items, and GMing demons and icon stuff a cute sort of palate cleanser after Dossier.
1: <laughs> Just like to s- get, s- get some demons into your mouth and swish them around. <laughs> yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
1: so for Thirteenth Age, the the mo is always to take a beloved D and D slash F twenty probe and put a new spin on it. So what is what is a uh, a demon uh, in the Thirteenth Age setting?
5: well the last thing about demons is that they're so absolutely flexible I mean they are the most like, every other monster pretty much has a particular theme or a particular habitat or a particular goal demons can sort of plug it anywhere they're like the, the tofu of monsters <laughs> now I'm
1: terrified <laughs> <laughs> that's right you take vegetarians <laughs> you take demons and think
5: like, you know, put them in there and they absorb flavour from things around them. <laughs> 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 and then, <laughs> and then <translation. laughs> if, you know, if you want a like your know, subtle um, <coughs> game of urban investigation, you can to, um before the fight scene at the end, think of this game where you're to track 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 down this evil demonologist to like identify him, and then when you finally find him, he goes, Aha, brah as human beings spring up and you'll fight them in this like fight scene. If you want a demon army attacking a town, demons can do that. If you want psychological horror, if someone possessed by demons or haunted by them, they fit in everywhere. So basically it's been, part probably making sure that demons are always a coherent concept, not just like a random evil. While it's their wonderful ability to be used by any villain you can think of, demons will always be done. Right, so
1: as the tofu of monsters, <laughs> it's basically the most terrifying thing about them is that they'll corner you at a party and tell you all about their new conversion to veganism. <laughs>
5: <laughs>
1: that, that's what I'm taking out well, of that
5: veganism, i have destroyed the world yeah. <laughs> veganism not, and CrossFit Yeah, not necessarily in that
1: order <laughs> so
0: one of the things I like about the, the demon book is that we were talking about doing a sort of a product that was like followers for the icons envisioning that as like a book that had multiple icons in it but what was really happening partly is a consequence of like the book that you're doing and partly of the, the way of approaching the Archmage, each of the icons sort of deserves their own so yeah. the book that you're doing is
5: about, a lot about
0: the Diabolist. Yes.
5: Well, the Crusader. But the Crusader. The Crusader a but Diabolist is very much from the and So then another book working on
0: is uh, a book really about the Archmage and the strange people you wouldn't expect who are involved with him, who follow him, who, um, and are most, basically monster jacked for non-player characters. Because one of the things we didn't really give is Here's what wizard schools look like. Here's what a whole legion of, trans- of, of emancipated familiars looks like if they're like pulling the strings behind the world. And what we're not going to—it's not a situation where we have to do a line of every single icon gets this style of cookie cutter approach. The books are going to be totally different. It is just going to have to be that one is about the diabolus, one is about the archmage. We'll see who gets the next book.
1: So Simon, uh, 2016, particularly 2016 at Gen Con, is going to be. A giant year for Gumshoe because it will be the 10th anniversary of Gumshoe. Uh, It uh, debuted, uh, it will uh, be 10 years since the uh, time when you and I sat at one little table in the Gen Con exhibitors' hall with some Dying Earth stuff and uh, a copy of the brand new, little, slim, original version of Esoterrorists. And it's gotten bigger since then. And uh, 2016 Gumshoe is going to uh, have a banner year of uh, stuff. So maybe you could give an overview of what that stuff is. And those of us who, have, uh, who are who rotting are some of that stuff will then go into more detail on particular things.
4: Um, the, the, the second book we released in The Line was uh, Fear Itself, which was partly inspired by Dave Olsup's unremitting horror uh, setting. Um, and it, it's a very solid game, but it's, um, it's more sketchy than some of the others. Uh, and because of all the development that we've had and all the feedback from, from players over the years and the stuff that's all ended up in *Easter Star 2, uh, we're now better prepared to create a game that's uh, much more crafted for the different kinds of games of individual horror that, that, that you, can, you can play. So um, Gareth is rewriting Creating a second edition of, um, of Fear Itself, uh, which will feature campaign frames for the different kinds of horror genres, so your, your slasher fiction, your literary horror, um, and each one will be crafted so that, that it, it um, delivers that experience at the table. Um, and so that's, that's the first one that we're working on. Uh, the second one is, uh, is Ken's uh, uh, big project for this coming year, which is Fall of Delta Green, um, do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Uh, Fall
2: of Delta Green is the, uh, let's just back up briefly, Delta Green is the finest uh, campaign setting ever done for Call of Cthulhu by a long chalk, and it was done way back in the ancient times of the 90s by uh, Pagan Publishing, and now has been revived as a new standalone role-playing game reminiscent of Call of Cthulhu by Greg Stolze and uh, Scott Clancy and Shane Ivy, and it will be released by Arc Dream. Uh, in the next year, in the coming year. They asked uh, what Pelgrane would like to do to sort of, as the other sort of um, uh, best-of-breed Cthulhu guys, uh, what we would like to do to help out with the Delta Green world, and after some back and forth, we decided that we would do a standalone uh, Delta Green in the 1960s campaign, or a, 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 a core book. Uh, so you can play Delta Green agents in the 1960s during the time when Delta Green was the uh, authorized U.S. government anti-mythos task force, and you play—you can play from their brand new beginnings in the new frontier all the way up to their self-destruction in the jungles of Indochina in 1970. We'll cover the whole rise and fall of Delta Green, but specifically the fall. And the good thing about the 1960s is that it's a very exciting, evocative historical period. It hasn't been done to death by everybody else, and we have lots and lots of uh, sort of uh, thematic material from the actual history and culture of the decade because if you were to pick a decade that was Lovecraft's idea of the apocalypse, <laughs> the 1960s are <laughs> in. Yes. And so I think that we can, uh, we can get a lot of good thematic juice out of that. It'll be a standalone, it'll be as compatible with Knights Black Agents and Trail of Cthulhu as we can stand to make it. It will be a faithful translation of the Delta Green core rules, so there will be rules for what organization you're in that will have a mechanical salience as you play at the table. Also, the bonds that you have with other non-player characters that you fry in order to stay barely capable of doing your job, that will be a big present part of the game as well. So it's going to be a great deal of fun to do. It, uh, I believe we have one uh, supplement in the license, which will probably be a book of adventures, but I'm not sure. Uh, but right now it's just a matter of getting uh, Trail of Cthulhu, only Delta Green, only the 1960s, and shorter.
4: So, so the next big uh, Gumshoe innovation was an idea that uh, Pat proposed, which was Gumshoe one-to-one, that, that uh, I think a lot of design and development work has gone into that to allow one player and one GM to experience uh, an investigative scenario, uh, which in, in fiction is far more common than groups of people getting together and investigating things. You want to talk right,
1: about? so that's I'm a, uh, the designer of Gumshoe 1 to 1, which is a rethink of the Gumshoe system for that format, one GM, one player, and uh, it turns out people are very excited about this, uh, that it's an unaddressed niche, and there are a lot of people, for example, who want to use it to, uh, you know, I just want something to, to run for my, my wife or my husband, or and sometimes I want to introduce them to gaming through this, and even... Uh, Ken's wife uh, has expressed an interest in having this game run for her which is an epic changing event um, <laughs> and so the, uh, there's a lot of things that you just sort of take for granted in group based uh, role playing rules that actually aren't pertinent or useful uh, when you play one to one So, and a lot of uh, standard gumshoe is about uh, dividing spotlight time between players, well you want exactly the opposite because there's only uh, one player, so you uh, have to, so it sets up mechanisms to allow you to, for example, have a character who uh, has a reasonable spread of skills and then a group of contacts that they go to when they need specialized information. And depending on what genre of detective story you're telling, that would differ, uh, but in the case of the the setting that comes with the core book, uh, it's our Cthulhu confidential setting. It's uh, 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 Trail of uh, Cthulhu style mystery in 1937 Los Angeles so it's our film noir hard-boiled detective uh, setting in uh, (laughs) the real and really weird uh, Los Angeles Um, and so the uh, first uh, uh, the core book comes packaged with an adventure Uh, one of the things about that I've discovered about uh, this in the process of doing it is that even more than regular gumshoe it uh, really helps to have a very uh, tightly written but not railroady uh, uh, scenario because when you're running uh, for one person uh, as a GM, uh, you don't have the time to think and improvise that you would ordinarily have in a multiplayer game because what you omit from that experience <laughs> is the chunk of time spent discussing or sometimes arguing among the players as to what to do next. And that's the time when the GM has the opportunity to sit back and go, okay, well, if they go here, I'll do this, and uh, oh, that's actually, that thing they're talking about is a better idea than the one in the scenario, so I'll change it to to this. That, uh, because both the GM and the player are constantly on screen, it's a more intense experience for both of them, and for the GM, you need a a tighter, uh, more uh, in-depth adventure, and so the adventures turn out to be somewhat longer than I anticipated than being, Uh, but it, it also makes them a lot more fun to read, uh, and so the uh, uh, in the process of playtesting. So, that rather than having one person come over to my house to uh, run the game for them, uh, I uh, played online uh, using the uh, Roll Twenty format, and it uh, works extremely well uh, for uh, remote play because the difficulty of running a standard game on Google Hangout, which is time managing everybody's spotlight time when they're not physically present. Uh, is eliminated because it's just a, a one-on-one thing. And so to play test it, I actually had the fun of running it uh, first for Simon and then uh, for Cat. And so uh, uh, which one of you wants to describe the experience of playing Gumshoe one-to-one without giving away the plot of the adventure? Yeah, well, without, yeah
3: without going into um, any sort of details about the plot or anything, it's an incredibly different play experience to anything I've ever played before. Um, because like Robin mentioned, um, you become used to working as part of a party, and so you know you kind of you tend to turn to the person next to you and go, oh, "What do you think we should do now?" You know, I think maybe we should do this, and but you expect more input from the other players, and you don't have that in one to one. So, like Robin was kind of sitting there going, "Right, so what are you doing now?" And I was like,
6: uh, "Anyone?
3: Anyone? No? Um, I guess I'll just go here then." And it's it, yeah, it's a very very it's a lot more intense, I, I found, as a, an investigative experience. I, think, I don't know if that was how you found it. It
4: was really very much like an interactive novel. You did really feel that you were participating in a, in a narrative. Yeah. I mean, the fact that when... It was that the first thing of Robbins I've done where I haven't seen it written down. It was experiencing the adventure as, as a, a pass through a narrative. And then obviously <coughs> when you see it written down, you then work out how you actually functions. Um, but I got to a point in the game where I was, with one monitor I was typing out all the clues and information and I felt I was stuck, but there was nowhere for me to go. And I thought, well, this discussion clearly there is. <laughs> and I worked out that it involved me going to see Mickey Cohen, who's like a terrifying gangster. The only reason I was blanking that out was because... But you I, did not want to talk to Mickey Cohen. Yeah. I didn't want to go and talk to Mickey Cohen. But actually you there was want, a lead. Yeah, you so I did go to, to uh, talk to him and it worked out okay <laughs>
1: um, and, and the other thing about uh, uh, Gumshoe one to one is that you can write things that don't have to be gigantic to terrify the player because just being alone in a garage with a, what in a, a multiplayer game would be oh yeah these are just small standard lines well you're just there by yourself and there's you know uh, to name an example that isn't any of the adventures there's one deep one but you're just one person alone that actually then becomes scary. really scary, and you don't have a backup or.
4: And, and, and in terms of uh, the other settings we're going to provide, uh, the Robin's default character will be in the core book, and either in the core book or in a closely or simultaneously released uh, uh, other setting, we have uh, Chris Spivey, who will be a uh, you know, uh, an African-American archivist in uh, Washington, D.C., which just sounds fantastic. And Ruth Tillman has just pitched uh, Franny Fisher. Franny, franny know, Fisher franny. from uh, uh, franny, with, franny Fisher Murder Mystery. Right,
1: with 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 the licensing uh, the issues Vivian, filed off. Vivian Sinclair. She, Vivian Sinclair. Yeah. 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 Okay. She's
3: not Franny Fisher.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's just say she fishes, and she <laughs> may may not also be Franny.
4: And if Um, if it goes well, there's so many different um, uh, potential (laughs) settings. Yeah, I want to do
2: Marnacki for it, for example.
1: And there's also a, uh, and I've also already turned in uh, three more of the uh, adventures for the Cthulhu Confidential Dex Raymond character, so there will be follow-up there, because uh, if it's a system that requires uh, or rewards tighter adventures, we want to make sure that we have them for you right away, rather than what sometimes happens when you release a core book and then there's a big Space before additional adventures coming out, and Gumshoe One to One won't work if we do that, so we're not going to do that.
4: Um, now there are there are other uh, projects for uh, Gumshoe Trail of Cthulhu projects. The first one is uh, a Trail of Cthulhu starter boxed set, which will probably kickstart, but it will be it will include the core Gumshoe rules and basically the core Trail rules, but introduced in a way that it feels like a, a board game. Because having played some of these um, anthology games with people who've never ever played a role-playing game, they were saying, oh, this is like, a, this is, I can play this game with my family at uh, Christmas, but we, there are no little counters or bits of cards or whatever, so it, it doesn't feel quite right. So to produce it as a box set makes it, uh, give it a board game introductory feel, uh, like a kind of, almost like a, a tutorial that, that talks the GM and the players together through the, uh, the initial adventure, um, and then says oh by the way you can make stuff up and this is how you make stuff up it will be an introduction to uh, uh, to, to role playing and, and most of the people who buy will understand will know a little bit about the mythos um, but it will be a really good way of introducing uh, new, new players uh, in a standalone product um, uh, next up we have um, fearful symmetries um, yeah. <laughs> tell, tell, the, tell the class why you haven't finished
5: it.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, you yeah. know, tell them what it is. Uh, Fearful Symmetries is a game in which, it's set in the 1930s, you play people who belong to an occult group who just discover that magic is real and that you're able to cast spells and gain powers and. Then you find out there's a mythos backing mm-hmm. to this, uh, during the campaign, terrible things happen to you and you things other people.
2: And this is a trail of Cthulhu
4: yeah, This is a trail campaign. Of the Cthulhu campaign yes. And there's a companion book which uh, yeah. Paula Dempsey has completed and delivered. Called uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Book of the New Jerusalem, which has the same relation to fearful Symmetries that um, Book of the Smoke to, uh, has to Book House of London the same way that Gunshoot one to one is absolutely configured for one GM and one player this is this is a game that is crafted for a group and a cult group that you build at the beginning of the game um, and you set what your morality is, what the things you're not willing to do at the beginning of the game. It's got a lot of support for creating um, improvised adventures uh, inspired by the way I've always run improvised adventures but you might recognize things from Apocalypse world or Dungeon world and the way people do fronts and things like that. Uh, Scott, are you alright? Would you be okay to talk about Poison Tree well? uh, Yes, certainly. Um, <coughs> Scott so, Dawood. Right. Uh, so Poison Tree, it's an epic campaign uh, that takes place over about 350 years. Uh, it starts off in 17th century rural Wales and it's about... Uh, sort of tainted family bloodline and how it sort of spreads through different eras, different places, all the way through to something fairly cataclysmic Mm in the modern day or near future. Yes, so um, I played in Scott's uh, kind of opening vignette, which was amazing. And then we spent two days with uh, Matthew Sanderson at IndieCon running uh, one adventure set at the very opening of the... uh, uh, the, the American uh, Revolution and another one uh, in um, Sicily after an earthquake. About to really, really quite really, really good. Quite really horrific. Yes, think. horrific. 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 <laughs> that's for trans Yeah, yeah. When's that you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> a big, <laughs> it's, it's a work in progress. <laughs> you, you ask Scott. <laughs>
1: So we have very little time left for uh, questions, So, uh, but we have time for some questions, so uh, who would like to ask a question?
5: Time watch?
4: Oh, oh, time oh there we go. Time watch. <laughs> Excellent <laughs> question, sir. Yeah. So um, it's now 300,000 words long, uh, and Kevin, who has a full-time job, has... I mean, it's an extraordinary amount of work that they've produced uh, over that time. And the reason that it is horribly delayed is simply because it's about three times bigger than we ever thought it would be. Uh, the manuscript has been delivered to our copy editor, and it'll take twice as long to edit as we originally planned, and it'll take twice as long to lay out as we originally planned, because it's twice to three times as big. But the manuscript's finished. Um, all the art is the arts! The art's all in. Um, I can't, I'm not going to make any promises about when it's going to be out uh, but it is an amazing game, really, it really is. I mean, uh, we had at least 100 seats at, at Gen Con with people playing it, raving about it. Uh, so I'm very, very sorry that it's so delayed. But what, it will be really, really good when it comes up. What,
1: what Simon isn't telling you is that, in fact, uh, they already uh, edited, art-directed, and published the book but that collapsed the time stream. So <laughs> Kevin had to go back a couple of years in time to make the book twice as big in order to not collapse the time stream. <laughs> yeah, so, so you're welcome, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another question? Uh,
5: one
1: to one. Uh, any idea we're, we're shooting for Jenga, um, right? Yeah, shooting
3: for Jenga.
1: It, it uh, has it, it uh, been delivered and is being play tested
3: to go and play testing any day now, I
1: swear. When I talked to the Arc Dream publishing team at GenCon, they were really glad that you we were doing their uh, Delta Green campaign. But uh, how much of a leeway do you get when, when
4: you're writing a campaign, and, and it has to fit within the timeline they had already kind of set up?
2: Well, it's, uh, first of all, it's not a campaign. It's a standalone yeah. uh, g- uh, game. Poor game but in terms of leeway I mean it's just like every other license right if I'm doing uh, something within you know the Star Trek license, it has to stay within Star Trek it's just the way the world is uh, the fact of the matter is that the Delta Green history doesn't actually go in an awful lot of detail as to what's happening in the 1960s so I have a lot of stuff to play with um, it, you have the general latitude the joys have when you're writing about covert affairs as we discovered with Dracula <laughs> dossier um, where you can say well that was just it happened. It just got covered up. And so there, there's a there's a large degree of latitude, but, you know, it's like anything else. The point of writing the, the book is to make it fit into the Delta Green uh, universe and make it fit into the Delta Green uh, game. Uh, me just going off on a wild tear and deciding that something else happened in the 60s is kind of off mission, so I won't do it. I mean, not like I need to because the Delta Green story arc already perfectly does what I wanted it to do in the first place um, why I said the 60s instead of the 50s.
4: In, in short, uh, we've kind of been planning this on and off for a long time and then there was a period of about a week just trying to negotiate things back and forth with extreme goodwill on both sides but frankly if it wasn't Ken they, they wouldn't have done it really because they trust him to know the background deliver something that it, uh, enhances the setting um, and they've been incredibly reasonable about uh, ownership of IP and so on. Um, but it, it, it is the people involved that has made this possible. It, they wouldn't have done it with, with well, almost anybody else, I think. Is
1: this going to use their uh, like streamlined version? No, it's going
2: to use Gumshoe. It's a Gumshoe game. It'll There will be conversion notes in the back like there are in the back of Trail for uh, Call of Cthulhu. So. Yes, Steve? Is there going to be a British angle? I've got to find out from Scott uh, exactly where on the Pisces arc things are. Okay. If if Pisces is full of uh, uh, shan, yeah. and they have the Ramsey Campbell rights, which I suspect they will by the time the book is out, um, then it may just get a, a like a mention somewhere and say. Meanwhile, in England, oh, my God, do you not want to go there? But, <laughs> but obviously, if Pisces is still capable of operating as an independent agency, there's tons of stuff that the British Empire and Secret Services are getting up to that would be a, a really fun sidelight to talk about. I, I mean, you might know something about. one or two things, yeah. I, I can finally use all the Aiden uh, research that wouldn't fit into Dracula, no matter how much. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, we have uh, five minutes left. Um, East Terrorist, uh, latest edition was great. That's some really nice um, extra bits in there. The uh,
5: is there a campaign?
1: Oh yes. Uh, so Worldbreaker. yeah, World Breaker. Uh, I just got back the playtest notes for, and I hope to turn them back around uh, into uh, uh, to by, uh before I take my Christmas break. Uh, the uh, uh, in an odd sequence of events, the book uh, has already been proofread. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so the well just require the proofreading to whatever changes I make. Uh, so actually, it's further ahead than it looks, and that's uh, uh, Chris Hoof uh, is doing the uh, uh, art direction and a lot of the art and uh, layout for that. So that'll be sort of independent of the uh, uh, general production stream. So that should be able to come on pretty quickly.
3: Yeah, hoping to have that language. Yes. yes. Uh, last
4: year, you mooted the idea of a pellgrain-specific convention. <laughs> <laughs> International Pellgrain Day. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I think Cat has been finally persuaded after a lot of uh, whiskey that it's actually a really, really good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's I think that's a very fair assessment to apply that way. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> but you, now that you're sober, what do you think of International Pellgrain Day? Yeah. I think um, yeah. It's because of the, the next year is the tenth anniversary yeah. as, as we mentioned of Gumshoe, so it seems kind of fitting to do some kind of celebration of Gumshoe.
4: Probably in October. Is, probably in Octoberish. We were, oh,
1: are we to talk about it? it could be my birthday, <laughs> October fourteenth. <14th.
4: laughs> oh, well. So we'll all be either physically present in different locations, yeah. running games or running I'm games online or. Yeah. 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 Life, life.
1: I, I, I keep trying to get you to Toronto, if that's what it takes. <laughs> yeah, I can. I can go up to Toronto
4: to talk about the past tricks. Yeah. <laughs> More whiskey.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, and on that note, I think we've uh, run out of time. More so, so uh, thanks everybody for coming uh, and uh, uh, enjoy your uh, gaming experience and enjoy your pellgrain games. Thanks, guys. <laughs>